cliffcentral.com. The last story in the headlines I'm actually going to save for Jean-Jacques to tell us about because it's about Donald Trump who says he's set to remove Sudan from the state sponsors of terrorism list. And we'll find out about that and more with Jean-Jacques Cornish right now. We're lucky to be joined by him. And uh, this is something which I, I look forward to every couple of weeks. The latest information on Africa. Well, you're just in time for JJ Cornish and African Analysis, our bi-monthly feature, which is sponsored by the Johannesburg Business School. With each of these, we look right into what is the breaking news of the continent as seen through our, tr- our trusted JJ's eyes. And we're going to get straight into it today. JJ Cornish, how are you, sir? I'm immensely well, and I appreciate your asking me. <laughs> Thank you. So can we start with this story, which is quite a big deal, and it only broke yesterday, really. Um, Donald Trump might remove Sudan from the state sponsors of terrorism list. This is obviously good news for Sudan. Very good news indeed. It's not new. This has been mooted now for some months, and we didn't even have Mike Pompeo going to Sudan, which was very unusual. The fact is, though, with the uh, removal of uh, uh, Omar al-Bashir, and we'll talk about that a little later, uh, mm-hmm. the Sudanese have moved back into the order. I mean, Sudan, once the largest country in Africa, now broken with, into South Sudan as well, it's very important that it should fall back into the international fold properly. And being kicked out by the United States as a state sponsor of terrorism, I mean, they did have uh, uh, Osama bin Laden sheltering there for a long, long time. Uh, it, it's it, it. This is the prize being held out to the transitional government, half military, half civilian, uh, that's coming to power, and uh, they've now made peace, uh, and and so things are moving well in Sudan, very well indeed. And for them then to be removed from the state sponsor uh, of terrorism list, it would put them back into dealing with the United States on a more even keel. That people would be able to travel there, they'd be able to make deals. Uh, it would be a very good thing for Sudan. Uh, the United States is sort of holding it up still as a kind of a, uh, a bait in a way, in the sense that they're hoping to get, uh, that they're hoping to get them to, uh, democratize properly. And uh, right. this, this half government, half military, half civilian government, uh, is, is, is doing good things. They are, I mean, if we move right into the issue of Darfur that I was speaking about, Fatou Bensouda, the ICC prosecutor, is actually mm-hmm. in Darfur at the moment. That's the first time uh, anyone from the ICC has been there since 2005 when the United Nations Security Council referred uh, the uh, Darfur question to uh, the uh, the. ICC. Now, there they have uh, two and a half million people displaced, uh, 350,000 people, 400,000 people killed in fighting there that started in 2003 and turned Darfur into the world's worst humanitarian. Now, the ICC indicted uh, Omar al-Bashir. Do you remember when he came to South Africa for that African Union summit? And we were asked to hold on to him. Don't let him Mm -hmm. go. And, of course, he slipped out. Uh, This was under President Zuma. So, you know, very controversial. He's been allowed to travel or been able to travel around Africa, but nowhere else. 
because of these this indictment by the ICC. And now that the interestingly the transitional government in Khartoum is not saying yes we will hand over Omar Abel Shia who was uh, ousted last April, April uh, 2019, uh but he is being he is imprisoned at the moment for corruption and uh but they're saying we will help you with your uh, seeking justice uh, I- I- for Darfur. So they're saying they'll do that, which means they've really got a handover, Omar al-Bashir. It's going to be very interesting uh, what that means and how the rest of Africa looks at that because uh, the ICC is a very controversial body in terms of, in, in the view of Africa. Can we turn our attention to a, a little-known country for, for most of us, Guinea? Um, it's a country on the west coast of Africa, and and for many people, it would be difficult to find Guinea on the map. But they have uh, they've just had an election, haven't they? They have indeed. You know, the the most interesting there uh, thing there, Cliff. You know, Guinea was the country when France uh, decolonized, and Guinea came very early on in 1958. They said, "Sefini, uh, we've had a guts full of you guys," and they yeah. didn't want to have any kind of relationship with France afterwards. So the French, in their Gallic way, uh, said, okay, fine, we're going. <laughs> and when they left, they took the light bulbs with them. I mean, you know, they took every Everything. single thing. <laughs> and then that was it. Now, now we have had uh, Alpha Conde, when he was elected two terms ago, he was the first democratically elected president in Guinea. And he's been there for two terms. I mean, his father had been before him. That family has been around for a long time running Guinea, he had a he had a referendum earlier in the year, and it became clear that he was planning a third term, a no, controversial third term. And they're standing and they're doing that. They've had uh, two hundred people die in violence as a result of it. The elections were on Sunday. Uh, they were pretty tense. Uh, we're hoping that uh, that uh, uh, the the opposition, uh, his name is Celo Diallo. He's been beaten twice before. I don't know what it is mm-hmm. in African tradition that if you get beaten, you go for, I don't know, for, th- you know, three time lucky. Uh, and this is his time, uh, to try again. Uh, maybe a three time loser. I don't know. You know, all lives are shaken into, into some sort of, uh, pattern, you know, that only makes sense retrospectively, Cliff. And, 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 and here we have, this is what's happening in, uh, in Guinea, we do have elections later in the what, month. What kind of what kind of a country is Guinea? I mean, what are their main exports? Are the people there reasonably okay, or are they desperately poor? What What are the circumstances inside Guinea? I mean, why would someone like me want to visit that place? Well, it's 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 a beautiful little country in West Africa. It has minerals, twelve and a half okay. million population, uh, but it's poor. It's poor because of corruption from the top, as is the case in so many in too many african countries right so so i mean you'd want to go there because it's a it's a beautiful west african country it doesn't have much tourism infrastructure and as i say it does export and then of course they would grow things like cotton and and they would have crops but they do have minerals and that is very important and I was mentioning the elections. We have further elections, of course. We have elections in the Seychelles. We have elections in Tanzania. But interestingly, on the 31st of October, we have elections in Cote d'Ivoire. And there we have Alassane Ouattara, who was going to stand down. Uh, uh, but uh, he's the prime minister whom he'd named to uh, 
to take over from him actually died. So he's got to. He maintains he has to stand for a third time. But the again, the population's not very happy about that, saying you, you cannot, in terms of the Constitution, have a third term. So this issue of standing hmm. another, another time is very, very, very fraught. And Barack Obama had the best thing to say about that. He said, if you haven't got the job done in two terms, you know, don't think for a minute you'll be able to get it done in three. Step down, get out of the way, make way for somebody else. Now, interesting. I mean, Guinea is is a, is not the same as Guinea-Bissau. That's a different country. No, this is they call it Guinea-Conakry because the capital is Conakry, Guinea, right. and it's a former French colony. Guinea-Bissau, of course, is the Portuguese colony. Guinea-Bissau mm. is is a transit state, uh, has become a bit of a sort of a. A, a drug state, a bit of a right. narco state, because the drugs moving from Latin America through to uh, Guinea-Bissau, which has had a, a several coups, always transit through Guinea-Bissau. So they're trying to overcome that. That's one of the big problems they have. But uh, Guinea-Bissau is a country which has uh, political difficulties, uh, grown-up political difficulties. Okay, so let's talk about Libya for a second, because Libyan military leaders are in Geneva at the moment, hoping to negotiate a UN-brokered permanent ceasefire. I mean, Libya's been an absolute mess since Muammar Gaddafi was removed from power. And for better or for worse, um, I'm sure that the Obama administration had their reasons for doing that. Of course, nothing has really gone well for them ever since then. Um, and, and what is the current state of affairs? And, and what do... <laughs> What do Europe have to do with this? What does the UN have to do with this? Well, you know, the, the, Africa can't do it. And uh, we talk about African solutions for African problems. The United Nations has had to step in. Uh, and, and, you know, I mean, if we, if we were talking, when we first started talking about doing this crossing about February this year, we, you would have had the same intro because the Libyans would have been in, in Geneva in February this year. And that thing broke up. Now we have uh, Khalifa Haftar, the rebel leader, uh, backed by Egypt, backed by the United Arab Emirates, backed by Russia. He's been driven away from his drive to get hold of Tripoli. Uh, and he's wanted peace talks at one point, and the, the government of national accord, headed by uh, Fayez al-Saraj, uh, has said no. Now suddenly Fayez al-Saraj's position's not all that clever. And uh, he's wanting to have peace talks again. So they keep going. The thing about it is that the danger is that Libya becomes a proxy war. Turkey supports the government of Saraj uh, and the other countries, uh, uh, Egypt, as I say, Egypt, Russia, the UAE and others supporting Khalifa Haftar. Now, if it becomes a proxy war, it's never going to settle down. What they're hoping to get is a permanent ceasefire. But, you know, I, I think I mentioned to you that if I had a buck for every time we talked about them sitting down to do that, I, I could yeah. have retired because it, it's just on and on and on it goes. They need to have elections within the next 18 months. And for that, uh, they've been talking about that so many times as well. Khalifa Haftar says he will reopen the oil fields, which he closed because of his uh, insurgency. And yeah. that might bring some money back to Libya. You know, we talk about Libya being an oil power. It certainly is. But it's not, it's probably in the top six or so in Africa. It's not really that big. So it needs everything it can get. And it's an absolute arsenal of weapons. Mm. 
uh, and it has been fueling under Muammar Gaddafi, fueling insurgencies in other African countries. So it really is a kind of a, a stockade of, of insecurity. Most of the migrants going to Greece and to uh, Italy from Africa go through Libya. And so, so, so it's, me, it's this, if, when, that's, when that if, settles down. Yeah. yeah. No, no, you go ahead. When that, settle, when that settles down, when they have stability in Libya, it is going to mean stability for the whole of the Maghreb, the Mashrek, the north of Africa, and will yeah. have enormous benefits for the whole of southern Europe too. So, Jean-Jacques, I mean, how bad is the situation in Libya? Would you prefer to be uh, in, in a country like Sudan or Somalia than Libya? Is it that bad? Um, because it's been it's been completely incendiary since Muammar Gaddafi was killed there, and nothing seems to have improved the condition of the average person in, in Libya. Absolutely. I think if you ask me, it's kind of Hobson's choice, but I would take any of those countries above Libya. Fayez al-Saraj, the prime minister, is stepping down this month. Once the talks in Geneva finish, he is stepping down. Uh, and there's corruption charges and other things. There's a lot of pressure on him. So he wants to go. So Libya is that bad that even the prime minister doesn't want to be the prime minister there. Pums? So I, I have a question. I've, I've been, you know, I think one of the things here in South Africa that, that seems to every now and again be a flare-up is the issue of um, migrant laborers and the issue of xenophobia here in South Africa. And I've been doing quite a lot of reading and kind of trying to understand the interdependence of SADC, of, of these various countries, which were all British colonies, and how the, the minerals moved between each of those countries, how the food systems moved in on their way back to England, right? And I'm wondering if a similar thing happens. If I think about the French colonies in West Africa and how their interdependence and how when when they all became singular countries on their own and the interdependence broken up is one of the reasons why there's so much instability in those areas. Even looking at kind of that north where, where Libya is, those interdependencies and, and why corruption is, is so high because they're all trying to work as a single entity whereas actually it works better as a unit, as an interdependent unit. What do you think of that? Well, absolutely. Libya's interest is two things. Of course, the oil and two, its geographic position on the uh, Mediterranean. You know, when you look at that Mediterranean basin, you have countries like, uh, uh, like, uh, uh, Egypt, you know, well, Egypt, of course, will, will be one. But, uh, you know, Algeria, then you have uh, Tunisia, which it plays the game of being a, a Mediterranean country, an African country, an Arab country, but its location on the Mediterranean seaboard makes it enormously important. And people like uh, Emmanuel Macron saying, well, it's just across the water from us. You know, mm -hmm. they clo they're neighbors, close neighbors to Europe. Now, uh, the reason why uh, Libya is so corrupt is, again, because of its position and because of uh, the interest, the colonial interest in Libya, of course, the the country that holds the card or runs the desk, as it were, would be the Italians. When I visited, uh, when I visited Libya and interviewed Muammar Gaddafi, the, uh, when in Tripoli at the time, who was there but a bunch of Italians, all trying to get back in, all trying to get back in and 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 overcome the sanctions that Muammar Gaddafi uh, had incurred upon himself. 
Uh, it was, of course, uh, Nelson Mandela who uh, told the world, stop sanctioning this guy, let him come back in, and, and, and let this country prosper. It will mean something for the whole of Africa. So it's the sphere of influence for Libya is it, Italian, um, as it is uh, Eritrea, for example, is also Italian. But it's the one country, uh, you know, that, uh, that was effectively colonized by Italy. Well, that's unfortunately all we've got time for today. But, Jean-Jacques, it's always enlightening to, to hear from you. And thank you very much for your expertise. Um, tell me just quickly before you go, that interview with Muammar Gaddafi, uh, what, what did you glean from that as just the kind of the top line uh, and most interesting things, especially now as a result of the fact that he's dead and there are no more interviews to be had with him? Uh, tell, tell us about that experience. Well, I... I got the distinct impression that Muammar Gaddafi was, to put a kind Irish expression to it, away with the fairies, you know. He he, he spoke very, <laughs> very, very quietly. He speaks very quietly like this, so that you have to lean in and listen to him. Uh, uh, he was not very steady on his feet. He'd had problems with his health. Uh, mm. But he, he essentially was trying to tell us, uh, as South Africans, you know, just how much he valued what uh, Nelson Mandela had done in trying to bring him back in. But uh, the the impression I got from about Muammar Gaddafi in, in a single sentence was that he wore his sunglasses on the inside of his eyes. Mm, what an interesting <laughs> point of view. I love it. Thank you very much, Jean-Jacques. Your, your experiences here are invaluable, and it's always interesting to hear your take on these things, especially because you have such a depth of knowledge. So there we go, our a little African analysis, uh, which we do bi-monthly, it's brought to you by the Johannesburg Business School, and we're very happy to have Jean-Jacques Cornish here with us uh, as regularly as possible. Thank you. We'll speak to you soon. À la prochaine.